Luke chapter 3, verse 1 to 20. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Tricontinus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Do not collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Then people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Amen. It's clear that in this passage there is one person, uh, the key figure of this whole passage, namely John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent before Jesus as the way preparer for Jesus. So the Lord would come, but the Lord would not come unless before him John would come to prepare people to, to see Jesus. Now why are we told about this by Dr. Luke who wrote this book for Theophilus and for us that we might have confidence and certainty in our faith, well, of course, um, first of all that we should learn how it historically went. So before Jesus went preaching, uh, first there was John the Baptist. There was a revival movement around John. 
Um, but it's not only for us to know about history, it's also that we should know that um, before the Lord comes again, before the Lord returns, God will have the coming of his son prepared, of course. So we listen to the ministry of John, um, not only because we are interested how it historically went, but also because God has us, his church in the world, to prepare the world for his second coming in glory. So let us today with great attention look at John the Baptist and learn from him how the way of the Lord is prepared. Now when we look at the passage that we have just heard, we can divide it into five parts that help us to see how uh, the ministry of John the Baptist uh, should be understood. Uh, let us first look at verses 1 to 6 and see what the purpose of the ministry of John was and what the purpose is of preparation, the purpose. Then, verses 7 to 9, here we see what is the problem of this preparing ministry. Then, verses 10 to 14, we will learn what the practice is of it all. Verses 15 to 18, we uh, will learn what is the person to whom it all points. And then finally, verses 19 and 20 are about the price. So to repeat it, what the structure will be of this sermon and what the structure is of this uh, passage. First, the purpose, and then the problem, then um, the practice, the person, and finally, the price. First, the purpose. Why, why, why has God a church in the world? And why should we know about John? Why shouldn't we immediately start with Jesus? So when you read Luke's gospel, you first hear John's birth is announced, then Jesus' birth is announced. First, John is born, then Jesus is born. First, John preaches, then Jesus preaches. Why? Why? What is the purpose of this? Well, the purpose is that the coming of the Lord will be paid attention to. The coming of the Lord should not come unexpected. It, it, it should come prepared. That is true of his first coming. That is true of his second coming. Now, if you look at the first verses, all these difficult names that Sarah just read for us, why does Luke mention all these difficult names? Well, these were the rulers and the priests in those days, and if we know one thing about them, it is that these were all wicked men. So from Tiberius, who was the emperor of the Roman Empire those days, we know this man was extraordinary uh, greedy. He was almost all the time drunk. He was a, a very, uh, he was a very violent person. Um, this man sent his soldiers and also tax collectors all around the world that they should get the money of the people and bring it to Rome. So as a result, many of the peoples of the world would become very poor so that Rome and this, uh, this ruler would become very rich. This is how Tiberius was. 
And yeah, I, I don't need to mention more about Pilate, Herod, and so on. Even the religious leaders, they were all very wicked uh, people. They were not as they should be. Now, why is this mentioned? This is mentioned because in a historical time, when you could see nothing of the coming of the Lord, in a very dark time, however, the Lord would come. His first coming would be in times you would never expect such a thing to happen. When you looked around, you saw no signs of it. Israel, once the great kingdom of David and Solomon, it, it, it had been divided up as a spoil for strange rulers, using it just for their own gain. Such were the times when the Savior was coming and born. So you couldn't see anything of it, but you could hear the coming of the Lord. The word of God would speak, I'm coming. So we should not always pay only attention to what we see around us in this world, but we should pay attention to the word of God, to what is said to us. For the Lord doesn't come without preparation before you will see him, before all flesh before every human being who lives now and has ever lived before everyone will see him, first his coming is announced and you can hear that it comes. And John, John the Baptist was hearing this voice. John the Baptist spent much of his time in the wilderness. He was not distracted by many things and he focused, focused, focused on the word of God on his Isaiah scroll, for instance. And through it, through his Bible, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. God began to speak to him. The word of God came to him, John, I am coming. Now John knew he should prepare himself, but he also knew the world should be prepared. Everyone should be prepared. So when he heard this voice, he did not only prepare himself, but he went out that others might be prepared. So the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry is that people should prepare for the coming. Though they don't see it, God wants people to know that he is coming and that they prepare. How should people prepare? Well, we should hear the preaching of this good news. It's good news. Wicked rulers may be seen everywhere, but they will not last. Remember Pharaoh, remember Goliath, remember Nebuchadnezzar. You could never think they would once disappear, but they would. You, you can learn that from the word of God. They will disappear, they will be judged finally. And the kingdom of God, the righteous kingdom, the kingdom of love and light and joy, that will be the final thing. That's good news, but you must also prepare for that. You must repent from your own evil and sin and wrong things in your own life because the judgment will go over everyone. So the purpose is preparation through a proclaiming ministry of John that people should repent and show that they repent that they, by, by, by being baptized, that they, that they are cleansed by the water. Now the water cannot cleanse your soul, but it is a sign that they long to be cleansed by God, that they long to be forgiven. So how, 
should we ourselves be prepared for the coming of the Lord? How should the world be prepared by repentance and by asking God forgiveness, for forgiveness of our sins, for newness of heart, that we may be people who are worthy of the kingdom that is coming, according to the word. So this is the purpose. But there is a problem with John's ministry, and there is a problem today when preachers preach the word and when we spread the good news there is a problem what is the problem we find this problem in verses 7 to 9 the problem is that we might hear the news and think well we like it let's see let's see whether it's true or not let's wait let's hope for better times let's hope for the kingdom of God and that we think, well, it would be good when something would be done about all the wickedness of evil people, but that we assume for us everything will be fine. So that, of course, we will be included. We will be the receivers of that kingdom. But that is a problem, because as good as we can see often the wickedness around us, so blind are we often for the darkness in our own lives. It is there, but we don't see it. We assume we are the good ones. We will be saved. We will be honored. We will be helped by the Savior. But that is a problem. John the Baptist, when people came to him, pay attention to be baptized, he, he criticizes them. It's very remarkable. Imagine, uh, imagine we at ICF Delft uh, have a preparation class for baptism. So we say, some of you perhaps want to be baptized. First meeting, very welcome. Uh, uh, and, uh, and what would I say as a pastor, or what would those say who give the preparation for baptism class? You brood of vipers. <laughs> you, you wouldn't think that, that that would be said to you, would you? But this is what John says. So to those who come to be baptized, he says, you brood of vipers. Whoa. That goes far. So he does not only say, uh, be aware that you are sinful people, like Adam and Eve. That's quite a thing. Today's church is very hesitant to speak about sin. Be aware that you're sinners. No, he says you are brood of vipers. You are like snakes, like children of, 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 of the serpent, of the, the devil. That was that first snake, you remember. Now, why does he say this? He says this to awaken them. And we need similar awakening. So, we are all inclined to think about ourselves that we, well, of course, we have some mistakes. We need some forgiveness. But in general, we think we are the ones that well, are saved. We are the ones God is fine with. And the others, yes, they may, might need some, some, some conversion and change, but we, God is fine with us. But John says, on which grounds do you think that God is fine with you? They thought, well, we are the family of Abraham. We know about God a lot that others do not know. We know about the history of God. We, we know his word. We go to the synagogue weekly um, and so on. But this is not the right ground to know that God is fine with you. In fact, when you belong to God's people, 
God has you in this world so that others looking at you might become curious about your hope, long to be saved as you. But when we are not spirit-filled, when we are not renewed ourselves, people will not get curious about God. They will look at us and think, well, they're just like me. I can, can continue in my sin. So people might be deceived by looking at us to continue in their sin. And that explains why John said to those people, you brood of vipers. So what is needed? What do we need? We need to be, says John, like a tree that bears fruit. We, 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 we should not just assume God is fine with us on the wrong grounds, but we need a renewed life that bears fruit for God. But the problem is often we think, well, I think I'm fruitful, but not on the, wrong, not on the right grounds. This immediately uh, brings a question to us. And that question is answered in the next passage, namely, what does a fruitful life look like then? So, so what should it look like? What should change? Uh, uh, and that is the point of verses 10 to 14, when people ask this question to John. Three groups of people ask a question to John, and they ask, what should we do? Now, this does not mean which are the things we have to do by which God can save us. We will never be saved by things we do. Some religions say you have to do this and that and that, and then you will be saved. That's not their question. The point is, what are the marks that show that our life has been changed? But we are not saved by doing these things, but which are the things that show that we have been saved? Well, three groups of people ask this question, and they have one common topic. They have all something to do with, on the one hand, the sin of greediness and injustice, and on the other, on the other hand, the fruit of a generous, just life, of just generosity. So in those days, the people were very poor. Imagine that you only have two shirts, and some people even hadn't a shirt under their cloak. They were wearing their cloak over their nude bodies. And, and this was all because of that wicked ruler, Tiberius, sending his tax collectors and sending soldiers to protect these tax collectors. So if you were looking for wickedness, you would look around that wicked tax collector. He took all my income, my money, so that I'm so poor that I only have two shirts or that I don't have a shirt at all under my cloak. But John says, if you have come to know about the justice and the generosity of God, the grace of God in your life, then even when you have two shirts and you see that your neighbor misses one, then you trust God to care for you and you give away that shirt to your neighbor who hasn't one. 
That's the mark of conversion, that you have become generous, that you want to share your shirt, your food. And similar things he says to these tax collectors. They are much... Uh, they, are, they have much more properties than these poor people. And it is so remarkable that John doesn't say, you tax collectors, repent of the fact that you ever even thought of becoming a tax collector. Immediately stop to be a tax collector for this wicked ruler. No, he doesn't say that. They may continue to be a tax collector, but they should show the signs of newness of life that they do no longer collect more than they were authorized to do. And the same he says to these soldiers. They don't need to stop to be a soldier, but they must become kind and generous soldiers and not wicked, threatening soldiers. This is a great lesson for us. We can think, well, to show newness of life I should become an evangelist, I should stop my job, my studies or so, and then I could show it. But we learn from John that is not so much needed. The place where you are, your working place, your place where you study, your neighborhood, it is a fine place to show that God is alive, that there is a generous God, and that his kingdom is coming. So we have seen now what it practically looks like. But here we shouldn't stop reading Luke's gospel. John's preaching is not just a moral preaching to make moral efforts to to live a better life. We can't force ourselves to be more just and more generous. Perhaps we can do this for one day. Let's try to be more generous. But in general, it will not really work. When the Lord reveals us the problems in our heart the greediness in our hearts, our sin against his holy law, then we know we can't improve ourselves. And so we have to look on the following verses, verses 15 to 18, and then we see that John's preaching is pointing to a person, namely to Jesus, to the one who is coming. Yes, Jesus is the one coming in the end of time to judge the living and the dead, He will separate those who are like the fruitful tree from the chaff. You may remember a sermon about Psalm 1. The chaff will be burnt, but the fruitful tree will survive. Yes, Jesus one day will come as the judge, but before he comes as the judge, he has come as the Savior. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit to renew our lives to take away our heart of stone, our unbelieving heart, our heart that looks for other things to make us happy and confident and sure, that look for money and other things to make us happy, then God. We have to look at Jesus and we have to come to Jesus with the need of our lives, with the sinfulness of our heart. When you read the Gospels, You see, many people come to Jesus. All kinds of people come to Jesus with their need. The leapers, the lame, the blind, the deaf. They come and Jesus does not refuse anyone. He helps them. So we should become aware of our own blindness. Our own deafness for for the voice of God. 
for the leprosy of our hearts. We should become aware of it and go to Jesus and ask him, renew my heart. Take away that sinful man that I am and create in me a heart that is new, that is cleansed and that is filled with your Holy Spirit. John, the preacher, can point to him, but John cannot give it. John can baptize with water, but he cannot baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, also my preaching does not point to me or what I can give you, but points to Jesus, our Savior. He will come, but he is already there. You don't see him, but you can go to him. He can hear you, and if you listen, you hear his voice through my voice. He says, come to me. I can renew your heart. I can fill you with the Spirit. I can make you a fellowship filled with the Spirit so that people around you become aware, maybe it's true. People get curious. Maybe I should investigate about this faith so that people become aware the Lord is indeed coming. So, as John pointed to Jesus, we should point to Jesus. The purpose is not that people around us think, oh, what a generous person is he or she. Oh, I love him, I love her. She, he or she is so wonderful. No, they should learn from us that our secret is our good and generous and just Savior and Lord. He, he who had all the riches of heaven, he who was the Son of God, he was willing to become poor for us even to lose his only shirt. They took his clothes and hung him on the cross. He was nude there on the cross. Why? To cover us. To cover our sins with his blood. Because he loved us. He was so generous. He wanted to include us in the future kingdom. So he invites us, whoever you are, whatever you have done, come to me. Receive newness of life. Receive forgiveness. Receive the fulfillment with my Holy Spirit. Now there is one last thing we should pay attention to. The ministry of John had a price. And so will it have for us. If we want to be a fellowship that proclaims the coming of the Lord, it has always a price. And we see this in verses 19 and 20. John was imprisoned. And perhaps you know how it ended. It ended by his beheading. It cost him his life. Now be aware that it would not have had this price if John had stayed in the desert. So John was in the desert for a long time. And he needed this desert as we also need a desert. The book of Revelation speaks about the church having a desert to take refuge in, to be with God. What, what does that mean? It means that we need, so to say, a place and a time to focus on what God is saying. There are so many distractions in this world. And if you continue to be always, so to say, online, screens around you, um, then you cannot hear the voice of God. So John the Baptist heard the voice of God when he was in the desert. 
then he could pay full attention to it. He could meditate upon it. He could, um, he, he could get filled with the word of God. And, and so do we need. In fact, our church service at home or here is our desert to be with God, to let God's word come deeper into our hearts. But when the word of God had come to John, he decided, I must go out. I must be among the people. I must live my life among them. I must be the witness of my Lord among them. And because he was this witness, it took him this price. He was warning even, not only the people, but even Herod. That's very remarkable, by the way, because Herod was really a man you would fear. Herod would not hesitate to kill you if he was displeased with you. Now, John clearly was not afraid of Herod. No, Herod was af- uh, John was afraid for Herod. He thought, even Herod, this wicked king, is a man who has a soul to lose. Oh, if, when this man dies today or tomorrow, he must come before the sovereign judge of the universe. And he will be cast into hell. He will be punished forever. I'm worried about this man. I should tell him about his wickedness and that even this man needs to repent. Well, this finally cost Herod his life. It cost cost John his life. John paid a price. And this is a question for us. What about our faith? What about our testimony? What about our obedience to God? Do we keep it all for ourselves? Or are we willing, somehow, some way, to show it to others? Not just to be experienced as the moralist, always rebuking people, but are we willing, when we go into this week, among fellow students, among fellow workers, in our neighborhood, in our, in our family, to show that we live with God? Then it always has some kind of a price. But be aware... It's worth it. This life here and now is not the last thing. The Lord is coming. And he will come with his reward. His reward of wickedness, but also with his reward of obedience. It's worth it to live your life for him. To seek him. To get filled with him. To repent. We have looked at the preparing ministry of John the Baptist... Because the Lord was coming. And now let us be aware the Lord will come again. What about us? What about his church? Are we awake? Are we preparing the world around us for his coming? So let this word awaken us. Bring us to prayer, to repentance and to revival. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your living word. Before you come and before your son is seen by everyone, you speak your voice. Lord, let your voice pierce our hearts that we repent, that we be cleansed and forgiven and filled with your spirit so that through us the world may know that you are coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Do not hesitate to ask questions or uh, approach us if there is anything we can help you with. And for now, know that the Lord has said, I am with you all the days. So receive his blessing.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.